Today's episode of Home Row is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. The CSB offers an optimal blend of accuracy and readability, which helps readers make a deeper connection with God's Word, and it also inspires lifelong discipleship. The CSB is equally suited for serious study or for sharing with your neighbor hearing God's Word for the very first time. Learn more at csbible.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to Home Row, and today I've got another uh, TGC employee. I guess, is that, a t- is that a technical term for you? Would that be what you were called? That would be accurate, yeah. That would be I'm accurate. Full-time so, editor, so, yeah. Awesome, yeah, Brett McCracken, welcome, uh, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. So, for the people out there who don't know um, who you are, uh, would you mind just telling the Tell the good folks out there a little bit about yourself and, and what you do. Sure. So I, yeah, I work for the Gospel Coalition as an editor. Um, I currently kind of oversee the arts and culture section of the Gospel Coalition website. So any, any articles that you see that are like movies, TV, music, um, technology, things like that, I edit those articles and I do a lot of writing as well. So that's kind of my day job as a writer and an editor. And um, beyond that, I uh, have written a couple of books. So my most recent book was published by Crossway last year called Uncomfortable, The Awkward and Essential Challenge of Christian Community. And we can talk a bit about that um, later if you want. Yeah, and then yeah, my, absolutely. my first, uh, my other two books were published by Baker. And uh, the first one was Hipster Christianity, which came out a long time ago, so eight years ago, I think. So it's kind of dated, embarrassingly dated at, at this point. <laughs> but any book on hipsters will invariably right. be super dated instantaneously. So, but that was a fun book, and um, it's in some ways kind of put me on the map as a writer um, in my mid twenties when that book came out. Uh, and then my second book is called Gray Matters, and that was about the it's kind of a guidebook for Christians to engage culture in kind of a non-legalistic or libertine way, but somewhere in between. Um, so that was kind of a, a, a book that just kind of um, expressed a lot of my thoughts on the intersection of faith and the arts and culture, which is kind of my sweet spot as a writer and as a thinker. Um, I, prior to TGC, I, I was a film critic for Christianity Today for about eight years, just kind of a part-time film critic. So I kind of cut my teeth as a writer doing film criticism um, for Christianity Today and magazines like Relevant and other other places like that. Um, so that's kind of my story as a writer, um, a little bit beyond not just writing things, but I'm, a, I'm an elder at a church here in Southern California. So a local church is a big part of my life. Um, big passion for me. Um, I married my wife and I just had our first baby. Oh, um, Chet. Yeah, thanks. So he's super cute. He's seven weeks old and we're just enjoying parenthood so far. And I'm trying to figure out the balance of work, working from home as a writer with a sometimes screaming baby in the other room. So that's, <laughs> yeah. that's a fun new challenge. But um, the, the joys... The joys and pitfalls of working remote. Yeah. Um, so have you invested in uh, noise-canceling headphones or or anything no, like that but yet? That's, 
that's a good idea. Christmas yep. present idea. Yep. That's Amazon good. Amazon wishlist that. I'll put a Indeed. link to those in the show notes if people want to see some uh some good headphones. <laughs> you know, I I used to use the Bose that were wired noise canceling because the wireless ones are just more expensive, but that was before the Apple dongle and everything. So now the dongles just messed everything up. But I switched over to the Apple AirPods and mm-hmm. those are great. They just I, I, they just work so well and they're so easy. They're not noise canceling, of course, but they yeah. they they pump enough volume in there to where I can't hear my kids running around and banging on the walls and enjoying the dog good. and barking and stuff. Thankfully, my little boy is pretty pretty mellow so far. Knock on wood. So he's not a lot of screaming, but I'm sure that will come in later years. Right. So I should probably should probably invest in some yeah. noise cam. Yeah, can't go wrong. Yeah. Now, outside of outside of writing and uh, even films and stuff, what what's something that that you do for fun that maybe people would be surprised by, or maybe doesn't fit within the arts and culture and in, in writing lanes? Yeah, I mean, kind of my nerdy like hobby that I love doing that I guess is sort of related to arts and culture is like planning trip itineraries. Like I geek out on that, so. I often will do it for friends, like people who are like saying, like, I'm going to go to Europe for two weeks. Can you plan my trip? Or wow. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to New York City for the weekend. Can you like tell me where to go? I have gotten to do a lot of travel in my life, which is one of the things that I love doing. And I just take a lot of joy in, in sharing that expertise with wow. others. So if I could have another career, I would probably be a travel planner. Yeah. You know, I'd, with the idea of like starting some sort of app or company that does something like that because yeah. I, I i love doing that so yeah i think you found your uh your job in the new heavens and the new earth indeed that will be my job in heaven for sure like the, there will be no need of pastors <laughs> so i know i'm gonna be out of work and i'll be looking for something to do right probably no need for writers for websites i, I wouldn't i wouldn't think so either so but trips and vacation planning that could be in heaven yeah yeah you found it i think i'll be a barista either that or like a uh or maybe like a basketball reporter that's yeah. that's what i'd like to do oh that'd be fun so yeah yeah that'd be i awesome. love basketball too that's another thing about me that people find surprising i'm an obsessed fan of kansas basketball okay so, and what about what about nba do you have any nba allegiances actually, i'm pretty ambivalent about the nba i mean i i cheer for um, the Lakers just being in Southern California, right. but, um, yeah, I'm largely focused on college basketball, but gotcha. I'm from Kansas city originally. So I'm super stoked about the Chiefs season in the NFL so far. Yeah, man. Mahomes is incredible. I have high hopes for, for them on the backs of Mahomes. Yeah. He's, he's insane. So makes up for the bad season the Royals have had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Astros are turning in the right direction. So we'll see. We'll see how things go here in Houston. Yeah. Now, as as a writer, you know, there's all kinds of, of different plot lines, I think, within even within the life of a writer for how for how we came to be writers and how we wrote that first article or that first piece or that first poem, first book. So before all of that, as you look back over, how, how did you become a writer? And then second part of that, when did you realize like, hey, I can call myself a writer now? Mm. Yeah, that's good. Um, probably um, just as far back as I can remember, I loved writing. Like as a kid, I, I was I would always get 
good grades on my writing assignments and whether it was fiction or just essays in American history class in high school, like it was something I knew I was good at and I loved doing. Um, where where it became something that could be a profession, I would say in high school, I I really um, got interested in like film criticism, writing film reviews. Um, in college at Wheaton, Wheaton College is where I went to undergrad. Okay. I was. I got involved in the school newspaper. I was um, the arts and culture editor. Um, so really college is where it became like a vocation for me. Um, I was churning out movie reviews uh, and, and music reviews and such um, constantly. And um, what was interesting and um, what has been a big part of my journey as a writer is at a school like Wheaton, which is a Christian, conservative Christian institution like writing about r-rated movies in the school newspaper is an interesting um challenge and so it kind of forced this um thoughtful engagement with the art the arts from a christian perspective which has been kind of the dialogue of my life as a writer um just trying to bridge those two worlds in a way that is um, fruitful um, for the kingdom and and not simplistic and not just kind of like the typical um, curse counting approach to right. movies, or whatever. So that became kind of my cause in college. And um, I thankfully, I just got a lot of good feedback and had some professors and mentors who were really encouraging me. And they would tell me like, you know, keep doing this, like your, your film reviews are excellent. And um, so relevant magazine was just starting back in the early two thousands when I was in college and they were hungry for content. So, um, it just worked out that I would send them some of my reviews that I had already written for the college newspaper and they would run them on their website. So, so in those college years, I started getting like national exposure as a writer, which was really cool. And then, um, shortly thereafter, Christianity Today, which was based in the Wheaton area, they they often would recruit journalists, student journalism students um, at Wheaton to to be interns or just to start writing for some of their publications, and so I got involved with them, and that's where my um, my journey writing film reviews for Christianity Today started, um, and then uh, I went to grad school at UCLA. So after Wheaton. I uh, moved out to California and got a master's in film and media studies at UCLA in the film school. And, and that was really, um, <clears throat> so at that point I had already kind of, um, zeroed in as a writer on this, this kind of niche of the arts and culture yeah. from a Christian perspective. So I was committed to that and I knew like, I want to become like the, you know, the Roger Ebert of Christian film criticism. Like, I just want to be the the best writer about movies from a faith perspective that I can possibly be. And so in order to do that, I, I, I needed to gain even more expertise. So I got this degree at UCLA, this graduate degree in film and media studies, where I, I just kind of deepened my understanding of, of film history and theory and criticism and television history and all of those things. Um, and it was, it was really excellent. It was such a good choice. And I came out of that experience, um, just a much better writer, a much better thinker. And, um, so around that time I got my, um, my first book deal. So, um, 
hipster Christianity was an idea that had been percolating for probably since Wheaton College, my days in college. I was just like fascinated with this thing that I was seeing among the students of these like hipster students who were like trying to push the boundaries um, of, you know, um, pushing against legalism and trying to just be cool. And I started to see that in churches in LA that I would visit where this, the kind of vibe and the scene and the, the decoration, the packaging was more important than the message and the gospel. And so I just started thinking about how, how could I like critique this trend in a thoughtful, interesting way. And just through a connection of a mentor of mine who knew an editor at Baker books. And I was, I was talking through this idea um, with her over coffee one day. And she was like, this is a great idea. Someone like needs to write this book and you should be the ones to do it. So why don't you send this guy your um, idea? And so I, I did, I sent kind of a pitch for the book. Baker was interested. Um, and yeah, so they, they kind of, I did a full proposal and they went for it. And, um, and I can talk more about hipster Christianity if you want, but it was just a, a really fun experience as a young writer. I got to spend a year pretty much doing the research for it. I, I went around the country visiting all the hipster churches I could find oh. from Seattle to New York to London to Paris. Like I, I used the money from the advance for the book to kind of fund my travels to oh, man. research to research the book and that ended up making the book so much better because it, it kind of, the book has this journalistic flair to it where it's really just me reporting on what I was seeing in these churches. And, um, and what's interesting about the book now is like a good number of the churches that I like profile are no longer in existence. Really? And it kind of proves the point of the book, which I was trying to argue that, hipster Christianity is unsustainable because anytime you, you make trendiness and kind of the zeitgeist, the chief value, like that's inherently unstable. It's always, that's always going to be changing. And so sure enough, you know, Rob Bell's church fell apart. Like Mark Driscoll's church fell apart. All these churches that I talked about in the book in the early, I guess in the late, um, aughts, 2008, 2009, they're, they're no longer around. So some of them are um, that I talk about in the book. So um, anyway, so that's, yeah, that's kind fascinating. of my journey. That's where it all started. And um, I couldn't say more, but I would probably bore, bore listeners. So well, what, what, what was the experience like, you know, writing your first book? What lessons did you come away from that you mm-hmm. think maybe shaped how, you know, books two and three came together? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe just your, your writing in general now as you write regularly at that TGC? Um, yeah, there were a lot of lessons from the first book. Part of it was just figuring out a rhythm because all, all along the way with all of my books, like I've had a full-time job on top of it. So, so writing the books has always been something I've had to figure out time to do like on the weekends, in the evening, um, outside of my working hours. So hipster Christianity really like gave me a, a chance to figure out that rhythm. So I basically would go to a coffee shop on Saturday and be there for like four to six hours. Oh, wow. uh, and I, I just figured out that for me, 
doing like massive chunks to like hammer out an entire chapter in one sitting is the way is really the only way that it works for me given the scarcity of time i have so um so i figured that out i figured out just outlining books and how to do that well and how to take notes and kind of organize your notes for each chapter so like i just have google docs like crazy where when i'm when i'm kind of planning a book i'll have like a google doc for each chapter or like yeah, I think I do it that way. And, and just as a thought comes into my mind, I'll, I'll sketch it out in my notebook and then I'll add it to the Google Doc so that when I come to the point where I'm writing that chapter, I have all of my thoughts and notes that I've accumulated already there. Yeah. Um, so little things like that were helpful to figure out. Um, one of the interesting things in my journey is just um, from hipster Christianity to Uncomfortable, my most recent book, like my life circumstances have changed. So I wasn't married when hipster Christianity was written. So I was totally single, carefree. Like I, I had the luxury of being able to like travel all over the place to do research for the book. Um, and then I got married around the time Gray Matters was being written. And then um, with Uncomfortable, like my life is just a lot busier and um, I'm an elder at a church. So the importance of discipline in terms of like, really being efficient in my time usage and, and really maximizing that kind of four hours at Starbucks on a Saturday. Um, that's become something that I've had to really finesse and become even better at. Uh, I just don't have the luxury of um, writer's block or like just kind of sitting, you know, just kind of um, going slow. Uh, and, and as a journalist too, that's something that you you're forced to develop. So over the years as a journalist for Christianity today, for the gospel coalition now with deadlines and with kind of the real time nature of it all, you're just forced to be a writer who can uh, maximize time well and be efficient in how you process thoughts and put them down um, on the screen. So yeah, those are, those are some lessons, but I'm sure there's others I can think about. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good because there's so much, I think, tension and stuff that writers have to figure out if it's not your full-time job that you've got other responsibilities and that you get the itch to write and you got to make it happen one way or another. And I do love how, you know, I just interviewed and another episode just went up recently with, uh, with another guest and he was very similar. Like, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to knock it out in a couple of days. I'm going to knock out, you know, 6,000 words or, or whatever. And where other people are, you know, bit by bit, you know, bird by bird, I'm just going to take, you know, I can do 500 today. I can do a thousand tomorrow and I'll do 500 yeah. the next day. Um, I just love <laughs> how we're all so different. Yeah. And, and sometimes it works different ways too. Like sometimes I have to just cobble things together bit by bit, just because my, my month is just so crazy that I don't have a free Saturday anywhere to, to do that big chunk. Yeah. So you just do what you got to do and, and make it work. Um, and, and another thing for me is inspiration is key. So I'll often go to like a coffee shop in downtown LA or like a cool part of town where I can be sufficiently removed from my context to have just inspiration as a writer. Right. I wrote a few chapters of each of my books, like at this little cafe in, um, in San Diego, that's right on the ocean. That is just beautiful. It's like this open air coffee shop that looks out over the bluffs over the ocean. 
Um, and I, and this is kind of embarrassing to admit because it's so amazing that I got to do this, but I wrote a few chapters of hipster Christianity at C.S. Lewis's house in Oxford. <laughs> um, yeah. So <laughs> I worked crazy. for the C.S. I worked for the C.S. Lewis Foundation for a few for a few years, so I have I have connections there, and uh, they let me actually stay in his room, in his bedroom, for a week and and write a part of that book. So I mean that was that was kind of the pinnacle of inspiration as yeah. a writer. I don't I don't think I'll ever top that. But man, yeah. I'll tell you a funny story uh, about C.S. Lewis Foundation. So when I was going to the Southern Seminary, um, they had the you know the Al Mohler bobblehead. They had the mm-hmm. uh, Charles Spurgeon bobblehead. I don't know if they sold the Luther one at that time or I got it somewhere else. But I had an idea and I, and I had just taken a class on C.S. Lewis with Dan DeWitt when he was the dean of Boyce College. He also taught this class at Southern. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. And it was just so great. And then I had the idea. I was like, I'm going to make a C.S. Lewis bobblehead. I was like, yeah. there's nothing out there. It's like I had a picture in mind, you know, him wearing kind of the the robe and then like a lion at his feet, like that one picture that kind of like circulated illustration that's out there. Mm-hmm. And so I contact the C.S. Lewis, something in the U S yeah. and they tell me, they're like, that's a great idea. I was like, I already found a place that will make them. I've got a good idea. They're like, absolutely. said, but we're not in charge of like his rights and uh-huh. all that uh-huh. kind of stuff. They said, so you need to contact these people in the UK. Yeah. Like, okay, awesome. So I contact them. I, mm-hmm. I I hear back maybe a week later through email. Um, we and the email basically said we reject this idea oh. all out. We would find it to be incredibly disrespectful to Lewis and his image. Oh wow! Regards, whatever. I was like, dang, rejected, rejected all out. So it's oh, a bummer. That would have been fun. Big bummer. Yeah, I, I'd be I'd be doing this interview from my yacht in Venice uh, <laughs> if uh, the yeah. Lewis bobhead would have... <laughs> I think the, the evangelical like cash would pour over that. He would just like flow over a CS yeah, Lewis bobble. Absolutely. Uh, but you know, here we are. I'm in my uh, church office instead doing this interview. <laughs> so when, when you think about um, un- Uncomfortable, uh, your latest book, how long, yeah. how long did it take you to write that? Um, I think it took about a year. Yeah. From, from signing the contract with Crosswave to delivering the manuscript, I think was about a year and that's kind of long these days. Yeah. Um, but I, I just kind of needed that time. I was, um, just really busy in life and was newly married. And, um, I knew that my process as a, someone with a full-time job and all sorts of commitments with church. I just, I, I can't get books churned out quickly. So, and I just, I'm a, I'm kind of a slow burn writer. I, I don't like hot takes. Like I'm not good at hot takes. I'm just by nature more of a, um, a thinker who likes to percolate mm. over ideas. And so, um, and it's kind of, um, you know, as a journalist, like I said earlier, sometimes you're forced by the deadline to be quick with, what you produce, but that's not my preferred mode of writing. Like my preferred mode of writing is to like sit with something for a long time. So for example, right now, like literally before I got on this interview with you, I was working on an article that I've been 
chewing on and, and working on for weeks. And it's about the tree of life, Terrence Malick's film, which, um, just came out a new, a new extended version just came out on DVD. So I'm writing about that, but like, I've thought about that film for years and I'm, I'm just finally putting down ideas that I've wow. had in my head for many years. And that's, that's kind of my dream. Like I love being able to do that. Um, and so that's all that yeah. to say my process is slow by virtue of my personality. I'm a five on the Enneagram. If you follow the Enneagram, I have no idea what that means. Yeah. Well, then we'll stop talking about it. Enneagram <laughs> is over discussed these days. It's, yeah. I, I feel bad that I haven't taken it yet. I, I feel like I'm living in the stone age now. No, no, no. Don't feel bad. It's a, it's kind of a ridiculous obsession right now. Yeah. I, I feel like in a couple of years it'll be something else. Yeah. But, yeah. But now that the, the disc test is gone and then strength finder, you know, ran its course and then th- this one will come and then we'll all be golden retrievers who are like <laughs> Moses or something again or whatever. <laughs> A dog personality test, and that would be interesting. Yeah, wasn't there one test like that? It's like you, you know, you're more like a golden retriever. Um, you're like an otter or whatever. I'm like, what? It's probably a BuzzFeed quiz. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Or like you're more phlegmatic. Like that sounds like a disease. I don't know what, what these things are. Right. But what and what I love about just how you know you're writing stuff, how we are also different, and it is wired into our personality for how God yeah. made us, and that there is no one size fits all paradigm for how someone should be a writer like you have to write like stephen king or yeah. you have to write like um you know brett mccracken or jared wilson or or doug wilson or whoever um yeah. that and that they're also there is no like we, we do go places for inspiration like you know you have the coffee shops i have uh, places around houston that i love to sit and, and go to but there are times when you can't write in your preferred environment Right. And so like, if, what is the weirdest place or the most unconventional place? You're like, I wrote, you know, an article there or, um, I worked on my book sitting in this place and it was bizarre. Do you have anything like that? Oh man, I'm sure there are plenty of examples. Cause it, it really is like a utilitarian thing. Like you just have to like pull out your laptop wherever you are. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm sure like in the doctor's office waiting room, I've written some things. Um, I, I, I often will write in the car. So being in the car is like a big part of your life. If you live in Southern California, like traffic just makes the, your time spent in your car a, a lot. <laughs> so yeah. some, sometimes when my wife and I are going somewhere and I know that it'll be a long drive, I'll ask her like, babe, can you drive so I can write? And I'll just like sit in the passenger seat with my laptop open and I'll, I'll, work you know offline on a word document or something about the latest article i'm working on so yeah i mean that's kind of a very la thing (laughs) with the top down sunglasses on you know yeah latte in hand you just got it man yeah with bumper to bumper yeah (laughs) yeah with all the smog and the the exhaust and all that yeah i think mine i remember it was my my first book and I was in a complete stranger's living room, <laughs> laying on the ground in their living room at night and editing chapters. Nice. We were, it was at X 29 mm-hmm. conference and mm-hmm. we were the church that was like hosting. They hooked us up with host homes and mm-hmm. I was there. Don't know these mm-hmm. people. And I'm just laying on the ground in their house and just yeah. writing this book. 
I was yeah. in my my wife had to go to Vegas for work, and I needed to work on my book, and so I I went with her, and we made just a little fun trip out of it while she was at work. I'm in whatever mm-hmm. whatever casino hotel we were in. I was mm-hmm. in my hotel room, just there, just knocking out whatever I could, and yeah. I'm, I can't imagine there's many people who spent time Christian authors who are spending their time in Vegas knocking out knocking out yeah. books, but. It's a great place to go, and uh, you can avoid all the distractions and, and, and knock stuff out when it's time. Right. Probably a better better thing to be holed up somewhere writing an article in Vegas than doing pretty much anything else. <laughs> yeah. So if you think about, you know, as, as an editor and, and as a writer, um, you've written some great great stuff, great articles, great books. You know, what, what lessons along the way would you give to aspiring writers? who, you know, they're coming to you like, Hey, I want to turn this into TGC, or I'm, I'm thinking about this, this angle for a book project. But, but even more than that, just what, what advice would you give to writers out there who, who want to improve their, their craft? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I always say is good writers are good readers. So if you want to be a good writer, like you better make sure you're reading a ton and, and broadly too, don't just don't just read the books that you have to read to become a better expert in whatever area you want to be an expert in. Like don't, so in other words, don't just read for utility read because it's enjoyable, like read fiction, read genres that are totally like, you know, far from your comfort zone. Um, And that I think, gets to a broader thing that I would say, which is just be curious. Um, a good, good writing comes from people who are curious about the world. So not only reading widely, but just exposing yourself to all sorts of, um, inspiration, you know, movies, documentaries, um, music, travel, um, people, just like different sorts of people having that kind of broad exposure and, and just curiosity that keeps you looking for those things and looking for um, just new, interesting things in the world. That is, that's where the, the good stuff happens as a writer. That's where connections start to be formed. And I would say like the best writing is the writing that makes interesting and unexpected connections. And you can't do that. You can't like make interesting and unexpected connections unless you have a wide and deep pool of inspiration to draw from. Um, so if you're a great sports writer, like the best sports writers I think are the ones who can like drop a unexpected pop culture reference or, or like have like knowledge about like architecture, you know, just random things that they can interweave into their sports writing. And so like as a, as a film critic, I think my film criticism is all the better because I have a lot of theological knowledge, because the local church is a huge part of my experience, because I love sports and travel and all sorts of other things. And so I think it's the wrong approach if, say, you're an, you're an aspiring writer and you've decided that your, your niche area is going to be like music. Like, don't just read books about music and don't only listen to music for inspiration. Like it's important that you find inspiration outside of that one area. 
Now, it is important to become an expert like I did by getting a graduate degree in the film, film area. But you also want to just be educated and be a lifetime learner in all things and just be a curious person. So I think that's kind of the big, biggest picture thing that I would say about um, advice for writers. Um, some of the more like tactical things yeah. I would say. Um, just habit, of course, is huge. And that's kind of maybe a given. But if you want to become a better writer, like, like anything, right, like any sort of skill or sport that you want to become better at, like practice makes perfect. So habit is huge. So find just daily rhythms of writing, whether it's just in a journal, whether it's in a blog, whether it's, you know, writing for your job that feels like drudgery. Like I worked in marketing. That was my day job for eight years. And I was writing press releases and marketing copy. And I viewed that, I, you know, I could look at that as like, well, it's just a paycheck. It's just kind of a means to an end. But I looked at that as like practice, like everything that I'm writing at work is making me a better writer yeah. from, from my outside of work stuff. And so, you know, with, with your day job, if you're a writer, like I would say it's good if you can find something where you're writing, but even if it's like a social media manager job, like you'd be amazed at how like learning how to write a good tweet makes you a better writer generally, <laughs> because good writing, as we know, is concise. And it's about being as, as punchy and concise as you can. And that's what social media, especially Twitter forces you to do. Um, so habit is key. Um, I would say editing is the big, the other big one, like yeah. good, writing. good writing is, is good editing. Yeah, like, it's unavoidable. It's as simple as that. Like the, a good piece of writing is made in the editing process. Um, I actually enjoy editing almost more than writing because I can see the piece like become better in real time, like as I take things away. And I know that's counterintuitive, but um, it's just like, you know, think about like a sculpture, like a sculptor chiseling away a piece of like marble or clay, like the piece becomes better as more things are taken off. Mm -hmm. And I think it was... Um, the author of The Little Prince, I forget his how to say his name, but he's this French dude. He said, he talked about editing and he said like something like perfection is achieved not when there's nothing left to add, but when there's nothing left to take away. And so it, I think that's crucial for writers. Like you don't want to just keep adding and adding and adding to make the piece better. You want to keep taking away, taking away, taking away until there's literally nothing else that you can take away. Um, so editing is massive. It's so important. And unfortunately in like the internet age where like anyone can have a blog and a platform and there's no accountability, there's no like forced word count, yeah. uh, you know, the newspaper age was great because there was only a limited amount of space on the page that writers could have. So they kind of had to have that limitation. But in the internet age, even for the gospel coalition, like we, we don't have that necessary word length sometimes because you can just have articles be super long online. But I just think it's so important for writers to be disciplined in their editing and to, to try to say what they need to say in as short of a space as possible. 
Yeah, that's good. I, I always try to, for my own personal blog when I'm writing, I always try to keep it under a thousand words. Mm-hmm. And if I can get to 800, even 500, that's, yeah. it's even better. If I can make my case and establish what I'm trying to say, yeah. then I want to, I want to make that happen. So for you out there who are blogging or you want to submit a piece to the gospel coalition, um, put a, put a limit on yourself, put on, watch your word count. Like I use a program called Ulysses where it has a little word counter there in the top and I can see it's gray, gray, gray. Then when I get to the sweet spot, it turns green. And if I go over, it turns red. So then I, I need to go back. I need to edit, remove things. Um, so, some, you know, challenge yourself by, by setting a word count. That's, that's really good counsel. Yeah. Another thing I would say by way of advice is, um, just be unexpected in, in your ideas, in your writing. Like if you're going to pitch an article to a publication, um, it's going to catch the editor's eye if it's something unexpected. So don't just, don't just write like another five point piece on, you know, why, why Christians should do so. And so like find unexpected connections, things that are just interesting um, and that's where the kind of broad knowledge and kind of a diverse array of interests really helps because you can make those interesting connections and um, you can write those articles where it's like talking about a film in terms of, you know, some history lesson or some like architect or whatever. Like I, I just find that interesting as an editor, as a, as a reader, when there's just those interesting unexpected articles. And then um, one more thing, like I would say, avoid the hot take. I know that the, I know that the internet kind of yeah. the internet is fueled by hot takes to our detriment in our society today. But um, hot takes are just so rarely good. Like they're they're they they go viral because they're you know outrageous and they make some sort of crazy claim about a timely issue but they don't add anything substantive to the discourse. We, we forget about them, you know, in a week or two, um, no one's going to care about your hot take three years from now. So I would say like, turn the heat down in your writing process, like let it simmer for a while, let it percolate the idea that you have. And that's, that's where the best, thoughts are going to develop. That's where the best article or book, whatever is going to develop is kind of that considered uh, approach where you're not rushing to say something, you know, to be the first person to say something, but you're, you're waiting to, to actually say something that's worth saying. So yeah, that's just another thing I'd say, man, that's some great, great advice for aspiring and current writers to, you know, we don't want to get in our ruts and we all have spaces to grow in, in areas where we could improve. Um, like I'm sure um, you would probably look at uh, hipster Christianity and then gray matters and, and the now uncomfortable. And do you see like how you've improved or how things have gotten better? Or do you, do you look at pieces like that? Or do you look at old things you've written on the internet and be like, Oh brother, that was terrible. Sure. Oh, it's, yeah, it's embarrassing to look at pieces from like 10 years ago that I wrote on my blog or a review. Um, and to see, to see what I was, what I was so confident about. That's the thing about young writers is mm. you tend to be like a little more, you know, kind of abrasive and cocky and, and sure of yourself in your young years. 
So when I look at like hipster Christianity compared to uncomfortable, um, I would just, I would see how I was a little bit maybe too um, certain of my claims and I wasn't as nuanced as I could have been in hipster Christianity. Not that I've landed and I've like achieved the perfect level of nuance now. I'm, I still have a long way to go, but you know, I think with age comes nuance. You, you realize the world is not necessarily as neat and tidy and, um, you know, categorical as you thought it was. Things are more complex. And I think the best writing is aware of that and doesn't um, make claims that it, it can't defend and doesn't overstate things in, in kind of these grandiose ways. Where, where that can be a real um, temptation as a young writer, just to think that to think that you're the first person to make this connection and to, to feel like you're the, you know, you're some sort of prophetic voice that's making some important statement about whatever. Um, I, I think the best writing is has an air of humility about it. And it can still be bold and prophetic and, um, you know, make a difference. But it does so in a vein and in a register of humility. Um, I just find that refreshing when I come across a writer who, who kind of has that approach rather than the like hot take, like here's what you should think about X yeah. approach. That's good. Yeah. Really good. If you had to recommend one book, okay, listeners got your advice. Like, man, awesome. I'm a, what, what now, what book should they go and check out to, to help them in their writing? If any. Yeah. The one I always recommend is um, actually Doug Wilson's Word Smithy. Yeah, it's pretty uh, good. I, I just find that it's a really fun book to read. Like, it doesn't read just like a dry like writer's manual. It's just fun to read and full of really practical tips. Like even little things like use use nouns more than adjectives. Like that that's a game changer as a writer. Um, so yeah, I'd recommend that book. Yeah, yeah, I. I second, I second that motion. It, it is a well-written writing book mm-hmm. and it's a, it's criminal when writing books are so bland. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Yeah. Doug's is great. Yeah. Well, Brett, where, where can people follow you on social media? Where would you point them to? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Brett McCracken. Um, I have a website, brettmccracken.com that has kind of my blog type articles, um, and information on my books that you can look at. And, um, yeah, I'm on Facebook and Instagram too. You can search for me there. Uh, other, other than that, most of my writing these days is on the gospel coalition. So pretty much every week or every other week, I have a new column, a new article about some sort of movie, some, something in culture this week, I'm going to publish a review of first man, the movie about Neil Armstrong. Oh yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So so that's that's just the super fun part of my job is I get to to write about those movies and and hopefully help Christians think about think about them in ways you know unexpected ways that yeah. make with their faith and theology. So yeah, yeah, man, that's great. Thanks, thanks, Brett, for uh, for coming on the show. It's good to have you on, man. And yeah, listeners, thanks. you can go uh, to homeropod.com and you can find today's episode uh, also with all of the show notes. 
with links to all of Brett's books and links to his writings over at the Gospel Coalition and social media, and also a link to Wordsmithy where you can go pick that up. And you can also uh, just look in the description of today's episode and you'll find all the links there in today's show notes. So uh, let's keep writing.